5 feet to 5 feet 6 inches, and life expectancy 30 to 35 years. Societies differed in their engineering feats, forms of rule, and belief systems, but on the economic front, they boasted common achievements, advanced metallurgy, big walls, and huge pyramids. If there were tragedies, they entailed plagues and blights more than man-made catastrophes, This is not to say that the Mongol conquest of Baghdad in 1258 was polite. Of the city's one million people, more than 200,000 were killed, and the Tigris is said to have run red with blood. But horrific episodes such as this did not determine social well-being, measured as income per person over the long run. That figure remained remarkably constant until about 1500. In this sense, the world was flat. About this portrait, there is consensus. Where there is debate is over what came next. Some say that groups of Europeans, especially northern Protestants, began to be rewarded for the improved productivity that stemmed from their individualistic habits. Others argue that Europeans stumbled on the right balance of good governance and benevolent self-interest. Either way, late medieval Europeans found the formula for success— banked on it, and turned it into what, by the 19th century, would be known as capitalism. Internalists argue that capitalism was born European, or more specifically, British, and then became global. A system of interconnected parts and peoples, it radiated out from a few original hotspots and over time replaced the isms it encountered elsewhere. Replace is actually a bland way of putting it, Champions of capitalism would say, liberate. Marxists would call it a conquest. But the storyline is the same. Europe exported its invention to the rest of the world, and in so doing, created globalization. Capitalism Rising The internalist story remains the most familiar way of explaining the breakout from the long post-Neolithic Durie. The Cambridge history of capitalism goes so far as to argue that elements of capitalism have existed since prehistoric times and were scattered all over the planet. The traits of the individual optimizer were sewn into our DNA. Clay tablets recording legal transactions with numbers offer proof of some Mesopotamian capitalist plying his wares. Relics of trading centers in Central Asia trace the primitive optimizer to the steps. True, for millennia, capitalists were uncoordinated, fragile, and vulnerable. But the origins of capitalism go as far back as archaeologists have found remnants of organized market activity. As Neil explains in his introduction, the current world economy has been a long time in the making. In this rendering, The survival of capitalists is a bit like that of early Christians, often in doubt. Just as Christians had to make Christendom, imperiled and scattered capitalists had to defeat predatory rulers and rent-seeking institutions in order to make capitalism. In the Cambridge history of capitalism, it was the Italian city-states that first departed from the old order although they were vulnerable to rivals and tended to favor oligopolies, 
These polities laid the groundwork of institutions and norms that, in the 15th century, would pass to mercantile states of the Atlantic, Spain and Portugal, and then the Netherlands, France, and England. Freed from a Mediterranean sea crowded with Ottoman fleets and North African corsairs, the Atlantic upstarts unleashed themselves on the world's oceans. In the internalist account, what was important was getting a virtuous cycle going, creating institutions, such as the legal defense of private property, that rewarded entrepreneurial behavior and letting this profit-seeking reinforce those institutions through people abiding by laws and paying taxes. The virtuous cycle lifted capitalists from trading with one another to coordinating with one another, thus creating a system of rules and norms to sustain the returns of profit-seeking pursuits. These money men put the ism in capitalism.